it's almost the end of July. Episode 17, week 30 of the Santon Times podcast. And thank you for tuning in once more as you stream, download, and take a listen to this weekly catch-up of uh, Santon and the Beyond. If you'd like to get in touch, don't forget you can email editor at santantimes.co.za and connect on social media at santantimes or uh, use the hashtag santantimespodcast. Uh, make sure to visit the blog santantimes.co.za and subscribe, share and leave a review or rating on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, SoundCloud or wherever you get great podcasts. It's wonderful to have you listening again another week of lockdown or what has become, as people say, the new normal under the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to our listeners in Santon and beyond, as you always do. And we've also picked up that there's been some listeners in Egypt, Russia, Qatar, and the UK this week. So that's all great. Uh, Santon land is all well. And it's wonderful to have you tuning in and, I suppose, catching up on what's happening in Santon. Uh, whatever your interests are, maybe you've visited before, maybe you do some business here or you did some business here, or maybe you're just looking forward to coming back here again at some point. Another busy week of a whole bunch of things happening, and I just see a pot off the press, uh, sad news of the last Ravonia trialist, uh, Andrew Mlangeni, uh, he passed away at 95 this week. It just brought back some memories of Lilysleaf in Ravonia. And if you haven't been there, if you're South African, you live in Johannesburg, and you haven't been to Lilysleaf in Ravonia, I really encourage you to do it. Uh, it's kind of a stepping stone in what I kind of almost consider this tour that you could almost do. You know, you can kind of kick it off in at the Apartheid Museum out at Goldreef City, then do Lilysleaf. Then from Lilysleaf, if you're doing sort of a, a South African tour, then you do Robben Island after that. Then coming off Robben Island, you've got, uh, you know, so many other points. There's also the capture site in KZN. So I suppose you'd probably do that one uh, first. So you can almost map out like a bit of a tour and, and kind of follow some of these, you know, stories that you've read about, stories that you've heard about, especially if you're also visiting South Africa for the first time or you've been here before, there's always new things that are kind of coming about. You can kind of almost follow this story of the struggle through some of these incredible monuments, museums, places that have been created. And some of them are so well executed. I mean, Lilisleaf, once again, such a, a notable place. The place where Nelson Mandela, Walter Sisulu, uh, Governor Mbeki, Ahmed Kathrada, Dennis Goldberg and others were were captured and then subsequently sentenced and sent to life in prison on Robben Island for charges of treason, uh, sabotage, and that was back in uh, 1964, June 12th, if my memory serves me correctly. And what an important part of that history to understand, because a lot of people, especially internationally, they know Robben Island. They know that because I suppose that's probably the the, the most well-known of of the museums and places to visit when you come to South Africa. But places like Lilysleaf, places like the Apartheid Museum, the capture site down in KZN, such important pieces of the puzzle, and it just gives you a much richer understanding. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be part of a, of a really fantastic Lilysleaf uh, documentary that was uh, put together quite a few years ago, and uh, managed to see Lilysleaf, managed to also uh, get to, you know, briefly meet uh, the likes of Amit Kathrada, Dennis Goldberg, uh, and Andrew Mlangeni. Another sad part of our history gets put into the history books uh, with his passing now. 
Then I see also another big story this week was also the restaurants, cafes, and eateries around the country uh, deciding to d- demonstrate and having a, a peaceful demonstration through something that was uh, termed million seats on the streets. Cafe owners, restaurant owners putting out their empty tables and chairs on the streets. And I totally understand it. I mean, I, I get it. It's such a, a difficult business to be in right now. You've got curfews at nine o'clock. You've got uh, no alcohol being served at these restaurants. You probably have a very limited menu. Uh, you have to space things out so you can have very few people in, in a restaurant. And it's not necessarily the most, in Germany you would say gemütlich, I suppose the most comfortable experience when you go out to a restaurant based on what we know. So it must be hellishly difficult to try and run a, a restaurant, never mind try and make a profit. And once again, we all understand the underlying reasoning and and trying to save lives. And right now, the conversation, I guess, in this instance to say, how do we save livelihoods? And we chatted to Eat Out, uh, uh, the restaurant relief fund in the last podcast. And they just had the most incredible campaign on Instagram stories where they were posting these pictures of restaurants that were saying, look, you know, we've lost X amount of jobs or we're going to lose X amount of jobs if we close. And then also all the secondary businesses that feed into those businesses, you know, chocolate manufacturers, you know, they give you those little um, those little treats at the end of a meal or mint manufacturers, all the people that feed into these. I mean, I sometimes think about even the, the hotel industry uh, that isn't, I suppose, at full capacity at the moment. You know, the people who bring them those soaps and the rolls and shampoos and those secondary businesses that we never really get to see as customers. They're more sort of business to business, how they must be impacted by the whole industry kind of coming to a a grinding halt. So yeah, I mean, I suppose a a colorful time to be alive at the moment and we'll see how it all plans out. But I, I guess on that note, let's have a look at some of the stories making headlines in Santon this week. as always, that's brought to you by megaflightdeals.com, your one-stop for non-stop cheap flights. So if you're looking for a good deal on a domestic flight, if you're traveling for business to any of the major hubs in and around South Africa for now, check out megaflightdeals.com, follow them on, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and the latest deals are always posted up on those sites. So we were just talking about how the hospitality industry is going through, you know, a rough patch, and yet there's more hotels in the pipeline for South Africa, despite COVID-19 concerns. Radisson Hotel Group announced that they are looking to open a further two hotels in South Africa that'll be located near Johannesburg Oatambo International Airport and the King Shark International Airport in Durban, uh, reports MoneyWeb. It has a strong presence in South Africa already. I think they've got about 11 hotels that they're running in Cape Town. Uh, you know, there's quite a few in Santon, Port Elizabeth and Polokwane. And the new Radisson Hotel and Convention Center near Oatambo will have 289 rooms and a 1,260-seater auditorium along with other hospitality offerings. It's located on a private estate in Bredel, Kempton Park and the hotel will open before the end of the year and is approximately 10 minutes drive from the airport. Then IOL also reporting that Hilton has announced the group will open a canopy by Hilton Hotel in South Africa in 2023 in Rosebank. Now I remember the Hilton had just announced that they were removing themselves from the property that they were looking after in Cape Town and uh, yet they're having plans to still carry on, still continue, still expand and the canopy by Hilton in Rosebank, will be located uh, on Jellicoe Avenue, amid a leafy upmarket suburban area famed for its vibrant art and culture scene, it says. And the hotel is located across the road from the Keys Art Mile Precinct and close to the Circa Modern Art Gallery. 
But there are still tragedies in terms of business when it comes to hospitality and restaurants, and one that had been taking some, some, some strain quite some time before all of this coronavirus and COVID-19 happened was Domino's. Domino's, uh, the pizza business in South Africa, has uh, fallen over. It's no more. And IOL reports that the national pizza franchise stores and factories of pizza chain Domino's Pizza have been made available for auction. So Park Village Auctioneers is making available the entire contents of the pizza franchise, which comprises food preparation factories and 50 fully equipped stores by way of an invitation to submit offers. So uh, if you're in that business or if you're looking to open that business, I suppose you can probably pick up uh, some pizza ovens and some um, accessories that go with uh, running a pizza business. I'm not quite sure exactly what that all consists of, but it says that the assets on offer are for stores and their contents and not the Domino's brand license or branding rights. In March 2020, Taste liquidated its food business following the group's failure to sell the Domino's license in the country. So no more Domino's pizza, but we'll chat to Michael uh, Trehearn, Portfolio Manager at Vestec Asset Management during our business update and maybe just get a little bit more insight into that. Then insurance versus business. This seems to also be an ongoing saga at the moment with so many businesses trying to claim insurance that they had in place, hoping it was covering what is going on at the moment. And there seems to be, I suppose, a big debate about does it cover it or doesn't it cover it. So Sowetan Live was reporting that Altitude Beach Club in four ways faces possible closure after its insurance company refused to pay out its claim for financial losses suffered during the coronavirus pandemic. The popular and luxurious spot is one of at least 2,000 companies in the entertainment and hospitality industry that have had their claims rejected by insurance companies. And once again, this restaurant campaign that Eatout was doing on its Instagram stories also, quite a few restaurants saying that you know they've tried desperately to get money from government uh, through some of the funds that were made available, and also claiming from insurance companies, not not getting any luck. Uh, I suppose there's a, a big debate in terms of is the virus to blame for what's going on, or is the subsequent lockdown that might or might not be included in that contract be to blame for all of this and? Insurance companies, I guess, not even coming to the party in terms of saying, well, you know what, it, it might be a little bit uh, up to interpretation or, you know, it's not a, a fortunate situation to be in, but we'll maybe give you some money, not all of it, but maybe we'll give you a percentage of it. Now it's down to the lawyers, it's down to interpretation, it's down to figuring out those clauses, the fine print in the contracts. Right, moving along, Andrew Atkinson heads to the Kruger, and we all know Andrew Atkinson from uh, South Africa's MasterChef uh, series that ran a few years ago. And iAfrica.com reports that Chef Andrew Atkinson, one of South Africa's most well-respected culinary professionals, is the newly appointed group executive chef at the Kruger Salati Precinct. Now, this is an interesting project. Luckily, I managed to get a bit of insight into this during Meetings Africa earlier this year when I suppose one of the last expos before the whole world came to a grinding halt. But, uh, forming part of the precinct within the Salati concession in Skakuza, the Kruger Salati train on the bridge has been dubbed as an insane new boutique hotel. And let me just describe this to you because I think it's particularly fascinating. So what they've done is they've literally parked this train on a bridge at the Kruger and converted the whole train into a boutique hotel. And let me tell you, it looks absolutely gorgeous. It's scheduled to open this year. I'm not quite sure when. 
I touched base with the uh, hotel and I guess everyone's uh, holding out to see when and how this is going to all happen. But just imagine this. It's a train parked above a river on a bridge. Essentially, each carriage has been converted into a gorgeous boutique room. The railway tracks or the bridge on which the railway tracks is on serves as the passageway. So you walk from room to room to room to room and there's also swimming pools, etc., Along the bridge, that's where you get to, you know, move around. And then the restaurant and sort of these facilities are then on land, call it that. So it's not on the bridge, but it's sort of just off the bridge. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And I cannot wait to uh, bring you more information from this once uh, once it's opened. And uh, maybe we chat to the GM, we chat to Andrew, and get a better sense of what this all looks like and how it's all going to uh, roll out. We all remember Andrew also headed up a number of Gauteng's Tops Kitchens. He was uh, part of the Michelangelo Hotel at one point, uh, the Hyatt and Rosebank, and the Hilton and Santon. So he's been in our neighborhood, and it's very exciting to see that he is now at the Kruger. Quick look at the clock, and it's time for our business update for this week. And with our business update this week is Michael Traherne, Portfolio Manager at Vestac Asset Management. Michael, how's it going? Yeah, all good. Nice and warm in Jersey, uh, Alex. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, lockdown has its uh, charm <laughs> once in a while. Uh, I see this week the president uh, wrote a letter to all of us telling us that there's a silver lining in business. Yeah, I mean, I must say his, uh, his letters and his addresses to the nation are always very eloquent and very well stated. Um, he was saying that all hope is not lost. Uh, there's silver linings to these lockdowns, you know, it creates opportunities and this uh, shows the true entrepreneurial flair that South Africans have. So, so that's uh, a bit of a positive spin on things. And I think it uh, just reinforces uh, how tough South Africans are. You know, we, we always find opportunities when things are tough. But I mean, wouldn't that happen to anybody if your back's against the wall? I mean, everyone's gone into PPE and hand sanitizer and masks. And I mean, when, when the rubber hits the road, I mean, anyone's going to make a plan, aren't we? Entrepreneurial academic research shows that there's generally there's only two ways you get into entrepreneurship. One is when you've got no choice and the other is when you're feeling very entrepreneurial. Um, and unfortunately, South Africa's case is there's a lot of people who've got no choice. Um, but hopefully for the long term, these business ideas that they've had translate into long-term businesses. I mean, as you point out, everyone's into PPE and making masks. That's definitely not a long-term business, but maybe this taste of entrepreneurship and of the hiring of people, maybe that leads to future ventures and uh, hopefully future employment. Well, one thing that I took out of it was the fact that going forward, the real solution to all of this is not to create more jobs. Because I think as much as the ruling party has spoken about creating more jobs, creating more jobs, I mean, every election, every twist and turn, it's about we need to create more jobs and, and the complete opposite has actually happened. It's really about actually saying to people, look, there are no more jobs to create. It's actually about creating your own business and becoming entrepreneurs, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Entrepreneurship has been shown in numerous countries to have a great economic impact for the societies where there's a high entrepreneurial flair. Then looking at South Africa, when you look at the, the Global Entrepreneur Monitor or GEM, South Africa actually surprisingly ranks quite low in terms of entrepreneurship numbers on a per capita basis. It, it is worth noting, though, that it's, it's very difficult to classify uh, the informal sector where you would fall in, in terms of entrepreneurship. But it definitely shows that there's lots of room for improvement in terms of stimulating entrepreneurship. And government's been trying to do that. 
they've made it a lot easier now to register a business and get the necessary licenses. So that's definitely one step in the right direction. But I think one area that we're lacking drastically in is one is the education side of things and teaching people just simple balance sheets and cash flows. But uh, the, the bigger issue is access to funding and teaching people where to find that funding. Because without funding, you can't uh, develop anything substantial. Well, talking about funding and all things entrepreneurial, one of those fun things that you get to do when you run your own business and you get to be the boss is that you get to pay insurance. And once in a while, you might actually want to ask to have that paid out. And right now, we're seeing so many businesses, especially the hospitality space, going back to their insurance and saying, listen, uh, I'm sure we have some sort of clause or some sort of coverage for what's going on. Some of the insurance companies or most of them are saying, look, you know what? Actually, no, (laughs) we're not going to pay out. Yeah, insurance is one of those grudge purchases. Um, and then when you think you're covered and then it turns out you're not, it, it doesn't help at the moment. Sometimes uh, Sunlam seem to be the, the focus of most people's uh, displeasure, um, particularly given that there's been other insurance companies who've taken opposite view to them and said that we are going to pay out. Sunlam's argument is that a national government lockdown is not the same as disruptions to, to business. They're saying that your lack of sales is due to lack of economic activity not due to something like a strike that has uh, prevented your business from opening for a day or two. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, not good for their brand uh, at all. And uh, this heads to court in September, whereas if they lose, uh, you can be sure that it will be front page news and be uh, very uh, not good for, for overall uh, brand in general. Well, I don't know how Sir Ben Kingsley feels about all of the small print conversation, uh, given their uh, very, very successful advertising campaign that they had quite some time back, which was very catchy. And now suddenly the uh, the rubber hits the road and it seems like uh, things are a little bit different. But how do you think this will impact their business in the long run? Because surely this can't leave a good taste in many existing clients' mouth, but also future clients who might say, look, you know what, actually, maybe I should be looking at someone else to ensure my business going forward. The, the negative publicity, no doubt, will have short-term impact. I'm sure that uh, their big customers who feel that they've been left out to dry will be looking to move to their insurance providers. But you have to see, I mean, it, people have surprisingly short memories. They all the talk at the moment, but in a year or two's time, uh, I don't think it will have much of an impact. And while you were saying that, I've actually changed my shirt and nobody even noticed. So talking about uh, insurance companies and listed properties who seem to also have a bit of a sort of relationship in terms of the way they invest, the way they put their money away to ensure that they can pay out uh, a lot of pensioners, a lot of retirement funds, they're both taking quite a bit of strain, especially on the property side. Uh, How do you think this will impact those retirement payouts and those portfolios? As you say, retirement is one of those industries that uh, retirement or retirees like to to invest in because they have high dividend yields traditionally. The problem with COVID and the lockdown is that most of the big uh, residential property, or not residential, just the big uh, property players, they're down 40 to 60% for the year. These are the big players that have fairly solid balance sheets. Uh, Some of the more marginal players are down more. And if you have a look at something like Into, which is a global player, uh, I mean, they, they, they filed for, for business rescue a few weeks ago. So that, that's got a big impact. And not helping things is most of these property companies are saying they can't afford to pay dividends this year. So if you were relying on a dividend check from a property company for your living expenses, that's not coming. Um, and it means that you might have to sell a few shares. And unfortunately, those shares are 60% down. So it's a bit of a double whammy and it shows uh, um, how volatile things are at the moment. Things are very volatile indeed. And I mean, one of those uh, big, I suppose, uh, 
sectors that takes up quite a bit of space uh, in shopping malls is, is the food uh, business. And we spoke about one of them earlier today, uh, Domino's. Uh, they've fallen. I see they're now uh, selling off a lot of their equipment. You can now buy a, a pizza oven or something on auction. Does this mean that uh, the, the pizza business is saturated in South Africa? There's no more space for, for any more pizza? It's probably, uh, you could say, pizza done well. Domino's joins uh, a few other international brands that haven't succeeded here. I mean, you think of uh, the likes of Burger King, they're struggling a bit. Dunkin' Donuts, they opened and they were gone about a year later. So it's, it has been tough. But Domino's was part of Taste Holdings, and Taste uh, is known for actually starting Scooter's Pizza, which um, I don't think was a great brand to begin with, and they upgraded Scooter's to, to Domino's. Taste's big problem, though, was Taste had far too much debt on their books and they weren't making enough money. Towards the end of last year, they said that they actually wanted to get rid of their food business. As a result, they sold the Starbucks brand or operating license to a private company, but they, they, they couldn't find anyone to buy the Domino's uh, master license for South Africa. And as a result, uh, all those uh, Domino's stores are now having to close. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they converted into uh, private white label type uh, pizza stores. So you still have a little bit of confidence in, in the fast food or, or food business in South Africa from an, from an investment perspective? Well, sure. I think that uh, the pandemic has shown that uh, fast food, easy available food is something that people want. And the likes of Uber Eats has only made it more attractive. People are willing to pay Uber 30% premiums just to have fast food delivered to you. So it shows that there is strong demand out there. The key is just to dif- differentiate yourself. Um, and you might say that maybe there's too much pizza in the more fast food type style, but uh, for your more hipster type pizzas, I'm sure that uh, there's lots of demand in Joburg for those types of pizza. Uh, another interesting uh, slice of the investment uh, pizza per se uh, has, has come online this week. Uh, I see the JSE had just released something to say that you can now get uh, China-focused exchange-traded funds. Do you have a little bit of insight into that? Yes, so this is part of the, the general global trend to what you would call passive investing. Um, and the general philosophy here is you pay less fees every year for not having uh, uh, someone manage your portfolio, but you'd rather buy what they would call an index of, of stocks. Um, and you just buy it because uh, you buy those stocks because it's in the index. Uh, this particular index focuses on Chinese listed companies. So if you want, if you feel that you need a bit of China's, Chinese exposure in your portfolio, then you just go out and you buy this ETF and it will sit there alongside your other stocks that you own. Um, it is worth noting that it's dominated by two players uh, in, the, in Alibaba and, and Tencent. So if you already own Nasdaq shares or Process shares, you already have a large exposure to China anyway. So you might be doubling up on that. Um, but it's, it's just it's, it's great to, as a South African to have access to an increased range of products. Uh, the more products that we have access to, the better your investing experience and the more customized you can make your portfolio. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. I guess there's also a bit of Huawei in there as well. They're having, a, I suppose, an interesting time in, in the rest of the world. I see the UK and the US are, are taking a, an about turn in terms of how they feel about that. So I suppose it might, might probably impact their share price, I suppose, in the long run. It's definitely negative uh, for, for Huawei, but uh, even despite the negativity from the UK and the US, they still show that their revenues were up. Uh, Huawei is very well positioned to take advantage of the global 5G phenomenon that's being rolled out globally. Um, and, uh, and as a result, even though two countries are, are looking at banning them, the rest of the world still uh, very much uh, buying their products. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. And then after, uh, I suppose, a list of, I suppose, not fantastic news in terms of investments and investing, uh, what kind of shares are you watching uh, at the moment? And, and what would you 
uh, keep an eye on going forward in terms of what what uh, companies are performing well? Yeah, for the week ahead, uh, it's, it's all eyes are mostly on U.S. earnings. Um, what will more than likely so today we've got Tesla and Microsoft. We've got a big two big uh, companies there. Uh, those companies, what happens in the U.S. always sets sentiment for what happens in in the JSC locally. So that that will be something to keep an eye on. Um, on the local front, we've obviously got MPC reporting interest rates uh, tomorrow, and uh, that that always has an impact on our rand, which then impacts our miners, and also by extension, uh, it impacts our banks and our retailers. So, uh, I'd say broad sector things to look out for instead of the stock specific things. Are you seeing a lot of money in terms of some of the portfolios you're managing? Uh, a lot of it also going into international investments rather than just uh, the local, the JSE listed companies. Well, sure. That 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 trend's been been happening for the last few years, and it it only accelerated uh, in 2020. Uh, South Africans, as the rand weakens, tend to take more and more money offshore. So it'll be interesting to see what we what happens now that the rand is starting to strengthen again. Um, I see it's not 16.47. It was in the uh, 16.30s earlier today. But uh, and overall, the last uh, two weeks, it has been strengthening. It'll be interesting to see if there's any uh, about turn from South Africans. But in, in general, the general trend is, is moving more assets offshore. Well, Michael Trahern, Portfolio Manager at Vestec Asset Management, thank you so much for making the time to jump onto uh, this call and uh, look forward to chatting to you again in future. Let's see how business rolls out for the rest of the year. Thanks, Alex. It was uh, great being on the show. So talking about business, and I see a lot of people are traveling now on business again, and you can fly down to Durban, Cape Town, and obviously up to Johannesburg if you want to. And I see some of the smaller airports are also starting to open up, but quite a few people still very anxious about getting onto a commercial flight. You know, on the one hand, it's obviously uh, your health concerns. On the other side, it's also, I suppose, the hassle of having to go through the whole process now because, I mean, going through a normal boarding process on a good day, on a normal day, was, you know, quite a story. I mean, you had to get there early. If you got the red eye flight in the morning, you know the queues at OR Tambo were quite extraordinary, although they moved quite well. And now you've got to add another layer to all of that, which is sort of, you know, having to extra sanitize. Companies like Emirates now talking about adding in additional procedures to make sure that everyone's healthy. And I guess we all go with it because we need to make sure that we we get to the other side well and healthy. But there must be another way of doing it. And one of those trends that I've also been reading up on quite a bit is this potential rise of chartered private jets of people saying, look, you know what, I'm not going to risk it. I'd rather pay a little bit extra and maybe I just get a whole plan to myself. So I thought, let me get someone on the line who who, who might have a little bit more insight into this. And it's uh, Christina Pana Bianco. Christina, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you, Alexander? Good and you, uh, Christina. T- tell good. us a little bit more about what you do. So basically, I'm a commercial pilot from South Africa. I've just converted my license to European license. And this was my initial plan was to go fly in Europe until COVID happened. So I kind of had to restructure my whole life and my thinking about what I'm going to do, seeing the whole crisis with South Africa, with SAA and all that. I just thought, you know what, why don't I just start my own charter company here? especially in terms of COVID, nobody wants to travel standing in queues and, and the health risks. So kind of just uh, branching out and starting my own charter company. Well, I think it's it's quite remarkable. And Early on, we were talking about how people are pivoting into, uh, you know, sewing face masks at home and making hand sanitizer. Yes. Uh, starting a chartered uh, airline business is a whole nother kettle of fish. Uh, uh, it's, yes. been a, it's been a popular platform for business or corporate yeah, business space of- for, for quite some yeah. time, though. But I mean, this is taking it to a whole new level, though. 
this is initially my five-year plan but due to covid it's my now plan so <laughs> yeah welcome it's, it's more passion it's more passion than anything so i'm kind of grateful in a way that it's pushed me to to do this but i think right now in south africa especially it's really what we need with yeah i mean we can't really go overseas so initially starting with uh, local travel i'll be doing trips to johannesburg um george durban anyway five, six months, uh, we're looking at doing overseas travel. So what kind of aircraft are we looking at uh, when we talk about sort of private flight? Because I mean, if you talk, talk to me about private charters, yeah. I have images of, you know, Falcon 55s and Learjets yes. and, and Gulfstream 3s <laughs> and all these sort of things. Yes, those, but, are the, those are the typical ones. But right now we're looking at purchasing a Cessna Citation. It's a small, small airplane, jet, and uh, yeah, about six to seven seats, depending on luggage and fuel and how far we're going to go. Um, starting out small. This is my company. So we're going to, I do have um, one investor. We're purchasing the plane, which will cut a lot of the costs in terms of renting and leasing airplanes. That's where mainly the cost is. Talking about costs, how would this yes. work? You know, let's say I'm an individual or I've got maybe a team mm-hmm. of two or three. We would book the flight just for ourselves. I'm not sharing this flight with anybody else. We're not kind of going Harvey's on a, on a trip down to George. I'm taking the full bill, right? We're going to have different options. So we're going to have options of seats. You can purchase a seat. And also we're doing uh, approaching certain companies and they can get hold of us as well. We're doing a commuter travel. So maybe like you'd buy a package on Monday to Friday. We would take your CEOs or whoever you need to, to commute uh, there and back safely and time effectively. Per seat travel, we, we are thinking of doing that. Uh, mainly because it does uh, save time. There's no security checks. There's, um, You get there, you get to the lounge, and you get served a coffee, you get straight onto the aircraft, and when I'm ready to go, when you guys are ready to go, we go. That's basically what you'll be paying for. And are you paying a significant amount more than you would maybe, you know, if you were taking, I don't know, a business class flight on, on SAA versus uh, this option? It would be a little bit more, but we are working on making the prices very competitive. I I guess your health comes into perspective there. I suppose that's what you're saying. Exactly. And your time, I guess, because like you're saying, it's it's cutting out that sort of two, three hour (laughs) build up to getting on a plane. Exactly. Our target market also nice is people with underlying um, issues, you know, they, they can't risk going on a commercial flight. So we really, really do want to make it affordable. We're not, it's not purely a money-making thing. This is just, I think it's pure, like opportunity now to start this. And then is there also scope to also fly into sort of neighboring countries for now? I mean, I know we can't go to, to Greece right now, but, yeah, you know, wish. something a little bit closer. <laughs> Not right now. That is the initial idea to do Amsterdam return. But like I said, only a few months, <laughs> one step at a time. So just national for now. In terms of the, the running of these flights, and I'm sure there's going to be a whole bunch of <coughs> new people that'll start latching onto this, that'll start yes. looking at this also from a risk perspective as companies start planning their travels going forward. What can I expect yes. a private flight to be like versus my usual Kalula experience? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, pretty much chalk and cheese. So we actually did a test flight. I don't know if you saw last week. Experiencing the whole experience as someone would, uh, as you would like buying a ticket. Pretty much you would uh, drive yourself to the airport, into the private sector, park your car, fully paid um, as long as you want parking, get out your car, they come fetch your luggage for you. You um, wait in the lounge, like I said, get served coffee, snacks. Once you're ready and the pilot is ready with his um, startups, uh, you just climb the board the plane you do get treated pretty well on board there's amazing snacks and treats and drinks and yeah once we we land 
the lounges they're waiting for you. There's, they actually put out a little small red carpet. It's really sweet. <laughs> then you get your driver or somebody to pick you up. Is there cabin crew as well? or For this specific plane, the small one, no, there's not. It's it's quite small. But we will be looking at that, obviously, a bit later. And then do I fly to the usual sort of airports? Do you fly to King Shaka? Do you fly to, yes. o- to, to Oatambo? Or do you use sort of more secondary airports? Any Any airport they'd like to go to. Very interesting. And yeah, especially with private travel, I feel like we get more privileges in a way. Um, it's more controlled. Well, Christina, I wish you all the best of luck with this new venture and we'll put uh, the so details much. of your venture into the show notes. So yes. if people are interested, they'd like to get in touch. This is something they'd like to explore or maybe, you know, they might yes. want to take you up on these sort of uh, regular retainers. Uh, yes. Yeah, they can get in touch with you. So, Christina uh, Panabianco, thank you so much yes. for uh, jumping on the line and, and chatting to us today. Thank you so much, Alexander. Right, we're chatting a lot about travel and private jets and the hospitality industry today, as we always do. And uh, it just seemed that it might be a good idea to maybe touch base with uh, someone in the industry uh, who actually is getting a frontline perspective on what's happening. And uh, one of those people is David Ryan. He's the founder and CEO of Rhino Africa, who actually penned a letter to the president uh, this week. Uh, Ryan, what did that letter contain? It's really just a plea to government to take notice of our sector. I think, you know, our tourism and hospitality industries are on their knees. The broader industry indicators are that around 700,000 people in our sector are going to be retrenched. Really, it's, it's to partner with our industries in the fight against COVID. We understand the balance between lives and livelihoods. And really just to get that balance right, that the inability for people to earn a livelihood is having significant impact on our industry. David, maybe to provide some context, maybe give us a bit of an idea of your business, Rhino Africa, and what you do, how you do it, and how that's been impacted by this lockdown. So Rhino Africa is what we call an online inbound tour operator. Um, We operate in five languages. So we're in English, German, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. And we operate in about 32 international inbound source markets. We build tailor-made itineraries for incoming guests to basically sub-Saharan and um, sort of East Africa on a tailor-made basis. So we bring in about 16,500 people a year, and that's the essence of what we do. So we are highly dependent on our borders being open. The purpose of our business is really all about uplifting communities and protecting wildlife. I think one of the benefits of African travel and long-haul African travel, particularly in the high end, is that it's the kind of travel that is able to give back. And really, when we look at this plight and we look at tourism, tourism is probably the most geographically diverse industry of any industry we have in South Africa. So the impact and the effect is enormous. And when we look at rural communities, particularly particularly rural communities surrounding our parks like Kruger or Medikwe or even in the Eastern Cape, they're highly dependent on tourism. And as we know, those parks are highly independent on international guests coming into, into South Africa. So given that a lot of international guests are not able to come into South Africa right now, and we actually have no idea when those international flights might uh, get going again, have you had to start looking at maybe accommodating a a local market and, and coming up with some sort of local solution? Even the ban on domestic or inter-provincial um, travel poses a problem for us. So we were hoping that, you know, even 
even, I mean, South Africa has quite a big domestic market. So yes, we could potentially switch and many of the tourism products and, and supply products could potentially switch to, to focus on domestic tourism. I know many of our partners in the lodge industry are prepared and able to reduce rates for a short term period in order to just sort of cover payroll costs in order that we could accommodate a domestic tourism market. So part of the lobbying to government has been, we understand that the opening of tourism needs to be a phased approach and let's start with domestic and interprovincial travel. What's been the feedback from your clients in terms of people who've obviously had plans of coming to South Africa and potentially postponing those plans and when they're coming back? So our client base has been amazing. And and what we must recognize is that most people that plan a trip to Africa, it's a once in a lifetime kind of event. So it's often surrounded by a significant event, be it the migration or summer season in Cape Town or a visit to Kruger Park. It's not the kind of holiday you book on a whim. And generally a trip to Africa takes some planning. So most of our clients have been really, really good and they've been happy to postpone into 2021, which means from the inbound industry perspective, we've been pretty successful in being able to maintain the forward book and moving that forward book into um, into 2021. The challenge with that, though, however, is now that the world is starting to open up, If South Africa is not on the forefront of the world opening up, people start to look at alternative destinations. And one of our big concerns is we know that the summer season is coming up now over November, December, and a lot of people from Europe and even from the US flock to destinations like Cape Town and to our safari destinations over that period. And with any, without any form of certainty that they'll be able to travel, This is where we're starting to worry that the cancellation rates are going to start to increase. We're going to start to lose that revenue and we're going to start to lose that forward book as they start to book destinations in the world that are positioning themselves for a reopening. Does having a a strong local airline play into that as well? Because I know we're having some real debacle with SAA at the moment and there's conversation (laughs) of resurrecting or or creating something new. I mean, is that a big part of, of getting people to South Africa or does it really not matter? I mean, will will any other airlines coming here sort of do the trick as well? So I think that's exactly it. I think the 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 open skies over the last sort of particularly the last 15, 20 years and and all the airlines that sort of fly to South Africa, you know, forgive me if I, I get the number wrong, but I think SAA only flew to six international destinations in any event. We are highly and they have a pretty small um, market share in terms of the inbound international travel into South Africa. So um, I think there's there's more than sufficient connections into South Africa. There's more than sufficient um, airlines flying the long haul routes through your One Worlds um, and through through your Star Alliances that allow access to to southern sub-Saharan Africa in the absence of an SAA. Absolutely. And what we what we find, particularly on the on the inbound um, um, market, is if you look at North America, you look at Europe, you look at um, the UK, miles and miles upgrades for clients on long haul when they use their um, business miles that they've, they've accumulated over the years 
or over the year is, is particularly relevant to them. So what we find is that most of our clients use their airlines of origin like BA, Lufthansa, KLM um, as an example for their long haul flights, particularly the Americans are are very um, prevalent in terms of using miles and loyalty to the Deltas and the Uniteds. So um, I, I really don't think um, SAA is a factor in whether we would be whether our tourism numbers would significantly decrease as a result of not having a national airline flying internationally. And David, there's a lot of talk also as well as South Africa or Africa being a great destination because there is this sort of natural physical distancing because we have so much space. Is that a realistic sort of marketing uh, angle or do we need a little bit more than that? No, absolutely. I think, you know, um, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, if you look at South Africa, Botswana, Namibia as examples, even um, um, Zimbabwe, what we have is we have a, we have a, high value, low density tourism proposition. Um, and that's really what, what um, is dumbfounding us in the irra- irrationality of the regulations in that I can sit in a full taxi, not that we have a problem that, that taxis are allowed to operate, but I'm allowed to full, sit in a full taxi, but I'm not allowed to sit on a game vehicle, which is in the open air, which has a maximum of six people um, nicely distanced in terms of the natural safari product offering that we have. Well, David Ryan, founder and CEO of Rhino Africa, I hope your letter reaches uh, the right eyes and ears. And uh, there is a solution and I guess some sort of plan, if not at least a, a line in the sand or a date that you can work towards. And uh, I do encourage you to stay in touch and hopefully keep us updated as to how that goes. Thank you very much. Yes, we look forward to being a partner in in the fight against COVID. And tourism has a huge role to play in the rebuilding of our economy and the rebuilding of our communities and the protection of our wildlife. So travel will be back. We know that. And it's now working with common purpose to make sure that we can redouble those efforts to protect what has been decades of brand and conservation for for South Africa. Well, thank you, David. Absolute pleasure. Right, we've got another unboxing for you this week. Uh, and uh, this one is quite an interesting one. And some people might say, well, you know, you always unbox technology. Why are you unboxing this this week on your YouTube channel? It's the Under Armour Hover Phantom SE R&R running shoes. But they've got a little bit of technology built into them. They actually synchronize with the Under Armour app, uh, but I'm not going to give away too much. The link is in the show notes to the YouTube channel, which is growing beautifully at the moment. So please take a moment to uh, have a look, subscribe, like, comment, and we're growing a really nice community on YouTube at the moment and releasing some great content on a weekly basis. So make sure you're part of that. Also, the competition for the Tule Subterra Power Shuttle Plus uh, is still going. And one lucky subscriber to the YouTube channel will walk away with uh, this fantastic prize, which is valued at 899 Rand. But only once we hit 100 likes. So make sure you give that unboxing uh, a like and also make sure that you're a subscriber and you could walk away with this fantastic item from Tule. Then we also had a really great prize in our fortnightly mailer, which was a two nights uh, at the residency in Rosebank. And we actually have a winner. So look who you draw that winner. Let's get the uh, draw box out here. Oops. Okay. And let's give it a good shuffle. And let's 
pull out a name here. And the winner is Sonette von Royen. Congratulations, Sonette. We'll get in touch with you. And you've won a two-night stay at the residency in Rosebank. So we'll send that voucher to you on email. And thank you for subscribing to the Mayland. There's another great prize lined up. Uh, so make sure that you uh, join the fortnightly mailer. We'll put the link in the show notes. And uh, so every two weeks, you just get a bit of a, a quick update uh, on what the, been, what's been on the blog, what we've been talking about, and there's always a great prize. So that's it for this week's uh, edition of the Santon Times podcast. Make sure that you email us on editor at santontimes.ca.za with your stories, your feedback, your insights, you know, whatever whatever's on your mind. You can connect with us on social media using at Santon Times. Visit the blog at, at www www.santontimes.co.za and make sure that you subscribe, share, leave a review and rating for this podcast on your preferred podcast platform. We're off into another week and I can't wait to chat to you again. But for now, stay safe and stay warm. 